Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm your host, Mary Fran Johnson, CEO of Mary Fran Johnson Media. Twice a month, we produce CIO Leadership Live with the generous support of my friends at CIO.com and our CIO Executive Council. We're streaming live to you right now on LinkedIn and on our CIO channel on YouTube. And we welcome any of our uh, alert viewers today to send in questions of your own to my guest. We'll be watching for those and doing our best to pass them along. And I'm very pleased today to welcome my guest of the week here is Bryson Kaler. He is the Chief Product Data Analytics and Technology Officer at Equifax. Atlanta-based Equifax is a more than $5 billion global data analytics and technology company and one of the three national credit reporting bureaus in the United States. It employs more than 14,000 people worldwide and operates across two dozen countries. It's also serving consumers and businesses across a diverse span of industries and government agencies. Bryson joined Equifax in June 2018, having earned a reputation for AI and cloud expertise as serving as he after he served as CTO and general manager at IBM, where he drove the efforts to bring IBM Watson together with a full suite of cloud native capabilities. Before his time with Big Blue, Bryson was the Chief Technology and Information Officer at the Weather Channel Companies, which was acquired, acquired in 2015 by IBM. As a prominent member of Georgia's technology leadership community, Bryson currently serves on boards of directors for the Technology Association of Georgia and the Atlanta CIO Advisory Board. And in June 2019, about a year after he took on his role at Equifax, he also took on his first public board seat joining the New Jersey-based Anywhere Real Estate Incorporated, where he serves on the Audit, Technology, and Data Committees. Bryson, welcome. It's so cool to have you here today. Oh, it's great to be here and great to see you and looking forward to our conversation. Thanks for I'm, the friend. I know, I know, me too. All right, I have to start with a little backstory from you about that expanded title of yours. Um, as we were talking about before we got going today, I run into a lot of chief information officers that have other functions in the business that are part of their title, but yours starts with chief product and that packs a lot of responsibilities in there and is unusual among CIOs. And I guess you're hoping to get a trend started here. It's a, uh, it's a real product mindset. And so I want you to talk a little bit about how that has come about and what it means to 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 Equifax. Yeah, so I think look, uh, I put product first because I want us to be product led, right? I believe that being a product led organization really helps us serve consumers and serve our customers around the world the best way. Yeah. Um, you know, if, when I arrived at Equifax, it was clear to me that we were really good at doing projects. For customers you know customer would ask for us to do something and we sure would whip up a project sure um, would we would build that project we mm -hmm. would deliver that project and you know we had created thousands of these projects we called them products but really they were projects all okay. over the world right and when you think about that in a legacy world it kind of makes a lot of sense because you've got your data centers 
you've built out your VM farms and you know you, you really don't have multi-tenancy. You, you really have the ability to, well, that's a new app, it's a new deployment, that's a new customer, let's just build, deploy, build, deploy, copy, paste, copy, paste. Um, and you know that just over time, a couple of things happen. One, it becomes very hard to maintain that sprawl. Yes. Um, and that's really what started our transformation four and a half years ago was the recognition that we had to get really good um, at how we built and ran uh, the technology that we have that powers our company. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that happens is that it's hard to keep all of those apps rising up at the same level, right? Because right. you, you want to now invest in new technologies, new capabilities, bring new data assets into the decisioning flow. You mm -hmm. really want to constantly evolve, but if if everybody's got their own code base, if everybody was built off their own project, it yeah. really becomes very hard for that to occur. So, you know, while we started our transformation with a technology mindset, right? Really getting to the cloud, getting into our cloud native mindset, really understanding that we were going to not just move, not lift and shift, not migrate, but rebuild mm -hmm. um, our technology on the cloud. The, the, the immediate next chapter was product. And well, that's where and we, hired our, we hired our chief product officer because um, we wanted to really establish that these would be multi-generational product views and okay. that our product for the auto vertical or the product for the mortgage vertical or our identity or fraud verticals. If you go across our portfolio of capabilities, each one of those has now its own multi-generational product plan. Mm -hmm. It has a product management organization around it that is balancing the investment of building a new feature, upgrading an old feature, how all of those investment trade-offs are done are now really very tightly integrated. And it's very hard to separate the tech team and the product team so, you know, that's really where that came about was yes. that, you know, we wanted to be product led. We wanted to make sure that we were breaking the mold of how we worked in the old days. We still wanted to listen to customers. Mm -hmm. We still wanted to take in market feedback. We still wanted to follow the competition. But now that's the job of a product manager. That product mindset of really understanding the market, understanding customer needs, and then synthesizing all of that down into a roadmap that an engineering team can execute against, that is really the way you know forward. Mm -hmm. And for us, being now cloud native, being able to have multi-tenancy for many customers on a common platform, I mean, really, that's just the modern way to build software. And well, you know, we're taking full advantage of that. Well, and there's something about project versus product that sounds very internally focused or externally focused. And when yeah. your engineers are concentrating on a product and its lifespan, they're thinking products don't really, unless you sunset something, they don't really come to an end. There's something that keeps getting improved and adjusted and upgraded as happens a lot with anything on the cloud. Absolutely. You know, and I think on that, I mean, customers, Big forklift upgrades, you know, software that kind of hits the end of its life. Um, and now you've got to go through this mass upgrade project. Like nobody has time for that anymore. 
right? We, we're all way too busy. And so the, you know, the beauty of the cloud, the beauty of having, you know, multiple regions, blue green deployments, all of this technology speak we always have. Mm -hmm. The beauty of that is now you can constantly keep that product evergreen. You're always investing in it. You're keeping it current. You're upgrading the componentry behind the scenes. The days of having to have our customers go through these monolithic forklift migration upgrades, we want that to be in the rear view mirror. Yeah. Well, now much has been reported and you've been interviewed numerous times in recent years about this Equifax's cloud story, about this full-scale move to cloud native operations. Bring us up to date on where you are in that journey, because I know enough about big technology transformations that there is never any single end point. You know, there's there are things that get accomplished, but the moment you stop, it's like sharks stopping in the ocean. You know, you don't stop because you'll die if you do. Transformation sure. is constant. So uh, tell us where you are in the journey and some of the things that are coming for it next and then perhaps in the next yeah, year. They, or so. the, the, the definition of scope of transformation is, is certainly an entertaining topic, you know, and one <laughs> yeah. that we battle all of the time trying to you know, make sure we are being, you know, true to where did we start? You know, mm -hmm. we've done over $3 billion worth of acquisitions since we started our official transformation. So the integration of a new acquisition, well, is that integration? Is that transformation? What if they need to go through their own transformation? Is that now part of transformation? Where does it end, right? Yeah. So we've been very clear that, you know, for us, transformation was around the original estate that we started with. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and we have a separate robust process for integrating the acquisitions that we do, you know, yes. and bringing them up to our standards. And so we've come a long way. Um, you know, we have uh, around 70% of our revenue today running on our transformed environment. Um, and, you know, uh, we're doing a really good job migrating customers, completing the work. We have decommed. Um, you know, over a dozen data centers. I think we hopefully, if we can, you know, do well this year, we'll 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 double that number this year um, mm -hmm. in terms of the total number of legacy data centers we've decommed. Um, and so the work in, in in the United States will be mostly done this year. Mm -hmm. um, customers migrated legacy systems decommed. You know, we're we're very excited about that. Same goes for Canada, um, yeah. which is great. Several of our countries down in Latin America, um, uh, the, most of the build work in India is done, um, all but a little bit of the build work in Europe is done with everything else migrated and shut down. So we're going to be in a really great spot by the end of this year. And if you look in the U.S. today, if you, you know, all of us have, um, you know, probably had some version of a mainframe rebuild or migration or, or some sort of big hairy project that we've taken on in our careers. Um, you know, our U.S. mainframe, which has been in existence for uh, over 40 years, yeah. um, was a big, complicated assembly beast. And, uh, you know, that team is code complete on that rebuild and now really in that you know, final slog of customer migration. And so in many ways, the hard engineering efforts are done. And now we're in that, let's get the migrations and decom of the old done. You're, mm -hmm. you're not done with transformation until you unplug the old. 
You, you have to actually yeah. unplug the old, not get it down to, well, there's only two customers left over there. No, no, that's not done. Done is we've unplugged yeah. it. And well, um, and that's what that's what we're working towards. So it's it's going well. Well, and I think that it's uh, transformations have to be waves or phases where, uh, you know, there it's I remember how uh, three to five year roadmaps have always been very popular in our technology industry. And for a while, everybody said, well, you really can't plan five years ahead anymore. But I hear a lot more about that kind of planning now. And it's more of road mapping going forward. And that may be that 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 rolling wheel of transformation is what is going to be happening next and which customers is it going to impact? That's how, that's how I hear it discussed a lot now. I think that's right. And I think that's why I, I, I call it our multi-generational roadmap, right? A gen yeah. three, gen two, gen one, you know, and it's it's a level of, you know, at, at a Gen 3 roadmap level, which may be three to five years out, you have a pretty coarse grain view mm-hmm. of level of specific, specificity. Maybe that's, you know, the first half of a year or the second half of the year. Yeah. And then as you get into that, you know, two to three year, you know, Gen 2 view, maybe you're down to the quarter, right? Yeah. And as you get into the Gen 1 and into the current year, you're down to the month. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's also just a gradient around how specific you can be into exactly when you'll deliver when. But I, I think it is important, not just for your own teams, but for your customers. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, what I believe to be true is that customers are not really buying a solution for what it does right now today. Right. Because there are very few perfect solutions out there. I mean, what software that you use is perfect right mm-hmm. probably to me at least and maybe my bar is high but very few I bet it is it's probably oh. higher than mine bryson <laughs> right it's it's not and but but you're investing in a relationship you're investing in the company behind the software are they going to keep investing in it are they going to keep innovating it are they going to keep making it better right and as long as they're going to continue to invest and make it better then you're placing a bet on them versus that specific tool but in order to do that, you kind of have to know where they're going. So I think it's important for us to be able to tell our customers where we're going, mm-hmm. talk about that in a multi-generational view, but not get so specific that we're backed into a corner where they're now counting on it when we're not yet ready to commit to it. And that's that balancing act that you've got to get right. And again, that's why that product management discipline is so critical. Okay, excellent. Let me take you up. I'm going to pivot up to a kind of a 30,000 foot view of the financial services industry and talk a little bit about the big picture impact that you've been seeing from Equifax's point of view on customers during these very disruptive last few years. Are there common problems that you end up hearing about from your other CIO peers in financial services? You know, I think we, we've we seen our role over the last many years to be incredibly important, more important than an average year. And, and mm-hmm. taking care of consumers, helping consumers in their own financial journey and helping everybody live their financial best, um, that's really resonated with us as a company and with the team. Um, you know, as people are in uncertain times, having that coach, that guide, you know, whether we're helping them secure benefits, 
right? There's been a lot of government benefits around the world and mm -hmm. um, changes to payments. And you've seen, you know, all kinds of forbearances and all kinds of things that governments around the world have done to help their populations navigate through the turbulent waters. Um, we play a big role in bringing that to life and making okay. sure that, you know, if somebody is uh, able to gain access to a government benefit, that we help them quickly get that. Mm -hmm. um, if they're receiving benefits, how does that get calculated and how do they properly, how does it get, get accounted for? How does on the on our customer side, how do they know what to do with all of this change in, you know, data? You know, yes. employment trends have changed radically. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, if you think about decisioning and modeling, models that have been built up over years and years and maybe decades of data and stability quickly getting disrupted, right? It put a lot of strain on the on the system very quickly, right? Yeah. And our our job was to smooth that out as quickly as we could, uh, continue to make sure that consumers and individuals around the world were getting access to the things that they needed to, were getting um, access to credit um, as they were going through, you know, changes that they could mm -hmm. still get employed, the background checks, you know, what happened. Um, you know, one of the, you know, product innovations we had was something we call I-9 Anywhere. Um, you know, if you get employed in the United States, you fill out an I-9 form and you go yeah. in and you bring your passport or you bring your driver's license, right? And the HR department validates that that's mm -hmm. really Bryson. Um, and that gets filed, right? And and that same process exists around the world. They call it different things, but, mm -hmm. you know, but what happens if that office is closed? What happens if there's no way to, you know, that office was, you know, maybe it was moved remote. Maybe that, you know, yep. there's local mandates that don't allow you to meet. So we created an I-9 Anywhere product that enabled people to still get hired, still mm -hmm. go through their I-9, but that we would have people that could come to them, right? And process that um, in a way that created hiring fluidity and flexibility where it was needed most. And so we, we were highly innovative in the last several years, reacting to just the yeah. turbulent times we're going through, and we're going to continue to do that. Um, and you know, it really comes back to our core purpose of helping people live their financial best. Well, and the we've got an excellent and early question from our alert audience here. Would like to know how Equifax is using predictive analytics to anticipate the customer's appetite for the different products. And that I know so, you and I are going to get into a lot of discussion about uh, data analytics and decision making with data. Uh, so that's a thank you for that question from our audience. And uh, I love the question. Yes. And, and look, I think predict. I think predictive AI. You know, and that really we could have a whole fun then topic on the chat GPT thing and and everything that's going on there. Yeah. Um, you know, it turns out you know because that's a language based model, it only knows things up to you know what twenty twenty one. Um, oh, that gosh. Is, that and a few things really have happened since 21 that happened last week. Um, yeah. And, you know, really more and more our customers come to us and, and ask us to help them in the decision making about the future. Yeah, right. It's it's mm -hmm. not so much about the past. It's more and more about the future. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so depending upon what part of the business that you're looking at, um, we have different types of AI in use. So in our highly regulated um, spaces, we use our neuro decisioning uh, technology, which is an explainable AI um, capability that we have because when when you're doing a highly regulated um, you know, work with our customers and helping them make decisions, um, you have to be able to give reason codes. You have to be able to explain mm-hmm. why something occurred, right? So um, a lot of uh, AI techniques don't really lend themselves easily to explainability. Um, you know, right. why did that occur? Why did I get that outcome? What was the data element that was used? And so we've built some patented technology around explainability. Um, but if you get into other parts of our business in identity, you know, in fraud, um, in in marketing and other areas where you have different types of use cases, you have different types of certainty requirements, Mm -hmm. um, you know, people desire for their fraud models. You think about your credit card fraud detection, right? It's a little, sometimes it's maybe too sensitive. But you would rather it be too sensitive than for somebody to rack up a whole bunch of charges on your credit card that aren't yours, right? And, um, you know, there's not an explain, you know, your credit card company is not going to explain to you exactly why um, they blocked that charge. They're just going to say they detected fraudulent activity and that was it. And you felt good and protected and moved on. So those are areas where we're able to use more sophisticated, predictive or prescriptive AI techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we have to use a broad spectrum of, of machine learning and AI capabilities really based upon the use case that we're dealing with. Okay. Um, when we had talked earlier, you mentioned that one of the, the real top transformations was for the company as a whole was this shift from seeing yourselves as and even being a data, data collection, a data analysis kind of business to more of a decision intelligence com- company. And yeah. I I love that phrase. I think it's a great way to talk about how you enable and make smarter decisions. And I know you have some examples of ways you've done this with alternative data, uh, which goes back uh, to the question from our audience member about predictive analytics. I'm not, is predictive analytics gotten to be an old fashioned term or is it still bandied about? No, I don't think it's old fashioned. I mean, look, there's a lot of, uh, obviously AI is a very fast moving field, lots going on. In fact, MIT just yesterday, um, you know, released some pretty advanced, you know, work related to explainability, right? So every day you're seeing Mm -hmm. Um, researchers push the envelopes of the various techniques. And, and so I think that uh, we're going to continue to see that for quite some time. But but fundamentally, AI works best when you can educate the machines the best, mm-hmm. right? And so the education of the models is based off data, right? And, and Equifax is, you know, very uniquely positioned with the unique data assets that we have, um, as well as the unique data assets that our customers bring with them. And that's mm-hmm. really a big part of our transformation was getting our data foundation in place, the pipeline of capability that now mm-hmm. runs consistently in six different cloud regions around the world so that we can handle data residency and all of the requirements mm-hmm. that we have. But our customers' data, our data, 
and other third-party data coming together, really regardless of the type of AI approach that you take, having your data together in a common data fabric, having it in a common catalog, having rich metadata that's associated with your data elements so that you know the permissible use of what data can and can't be used. That to me is the first step of any AI you know, program, right? Mm -hmm. Because you now have the most uh, advanced capabilities to be able to train and build robust models and the feedback loops of learning so that they can continue to get better and improve and so yes. the data piece is 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 really critical. Um, you've got to you've got to nail that first, and that was why that's that was the first part of our transformation was getting our data fabric in place, mm -hmm. reingesting not just moving our databases but reingesting our data, creating a common keying and linking capability so that as we look at data elements and their association to people, places, and things, that we had a common view of that. Mm -hmm. um, that helps the machines learn faster. That helps the models become more confident, become more accurate, right? Because really you're doing all of that work to make a better decision, right? right. Um, and sure, we work with a lot of customers where they want to buy the data, they want to leverage the data to help them make a better decision. And we work with a lot of customers that way, but more and more because of the explosive amount of data that is available, and the amount of public data that's out there, other signals, all kinds of things that help us make a better decision. You know, mm -hmm. is this really Bryson, right? Is this the right digital identity? Is this fraudulent activity or legitimate activity? These are things where more data helps us and people yeah. want that confidence. And so what, what increasingly I see from our customers is we need more help. Right. We need more help in making this decision. We need more help from you. And that's the whole decision intelligence, which is at the end yeah. of the day, that customer still has to make that final call. Their risk tolerance is different. They're, they're making that final decision on what to do. But the more we can guide them, the more valuable we are. And I, I go back to my days at weather, um, where I spent a lot of time with the meteorology team and, you know, really kind of always jokingly pushed on them and said, you know, look, uh, what is a 30% chance of rain really telling anybody? <laughs> like, I remember, I remember a lot of those conversations because you always, whenever we would interview you, I think I was with computer world at that point. Yeah. So we're going way back now. Um, the, uh, you always seem to be having just such a good time. You know, with, oh, I like, loved that job. I loved yeah. the weather, and I loved that team, and that was a lot of fun. And and but yeah. you know, <laughs> if, giving somebody a thirty percent chance of rain, I always said, look, we're just pushing the problem to them. <laughs> we're not really helping them make a decision. We're basically saying, I don't know. You go figure yeah. it out, right? right. And so we created what we refer to as the umbrella forecast. And you know, mm -hmm. today, if you if you were to ask Google. Um, will I need an umbrella today? It will answer you in a binary mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Yes or no. It will tell you. And that was off of some very sophisticated work that we did to make sure that we were really helping answer the question, really bringing that decision intelligence mm -hmm. to the forefront versus yeah. just shipping out a bunch of data. 
Um, and I think that's the easiest way for, I think, people to get their head wrapped around it was we became more valuable as a company as we helped that decision, right? And, and we mm -hmm. did that in the B2B space. And, you know, you think about flying. How much fuel am I putting on a plane? Well, that has a heavy impact on weather. Well, don't tell me exactly how many pounds. I'll pay for that. That's very valuable. So when you think right. about our world, you know, at Equifax, it's very similar, right? The, the, the more we can help our customers make that decision, the more valuable we, we, we become. And that's really that move from data is important and critical and a, and a great asset of our company. And we've built our data fabric to enable us to continue to massively grow that um, and do that in a very governed, permissible, highly secure way, consistently around the world. The, the analytics piece of that and our use of AI and machine learning against the data certainly helps. But fundamentally, all of that work and the technology that we have built is all down to helping a, a person or a business make a smarter decision. Yes. Well, and um, all these factors that do go into the decision making, and especially with the assist from deep learning models and AI, and whether it's predictive AI, I guess most AI probably is somewhat predictive. Um, is that the next big technology horizon that you see your fellow CIOs, your your other travelers on this technology road? Are is that what they're tackling now, or is the you know is is the hockey puck moving elsewhere? Is there too much emphasis on the data and not enough emphasis on what's happening with the data? Um, yeah, I think it's all about outcomes, right? Okay. So, you know, many years ago, we would have all celebrated, you know, uh, in, in the community, hey, you know, Sally or Joe or Bob, you got your data warehouse project approved and through the, you know, investment committee, yay, um, <laughs> great. So now you've pulled hopefully most of your data together. You've 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 maybe got it all somewhat normalized. You 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 hopefully understand the permissible use around mm -hmm. it, but really kind of so what now what right? So I think the work that so many of our of technology leaders, data leaders. Um, around the world have been working on is how do we make sure that there's a solid ROI for our company and our business, right? And are we using that to make smarter decisions? Are we using, not to visualize it and create some fancy dashboard. I mean, dashboards are great and they're really pretty and sometimes they help tell a story, but what are yes. people doing with it, right? Um, yeah. Are people really making a different decision and can you quantify that? Um, because it's 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 expensive to house these digital bits, mm -hmm. right? And the security requirements around doing so rise every year. So yeah. as much as we try to commoditize the infrastructure around it, it probably gets offset with the overhead of security and encryption and tokenization mm -hmm. and and encrypt decrypt. And you can you can get into a post quantum conversation, um, you know, if you wanted mm -hmm. to. Um, you know, there, there's all kinds of, of costs there. So these digital bits cost money. We've got oh, yeah. to make sure that we're moving them into the decisioning flow of our businesses, into our products, mm -hmm. and that we really can start to understand how did somebody actually make a different decision, um, you know, because of the data we had, because of the intelligence we created, 
or because of the guidance that we provided, mm -hmm. right? Sometimes what you need is a little nudge, right? Which is why yeah. sometimes you see some of these assistants today giving you a nudge. <laughs> hey, you've only got 300 more steps this hour. Hey, you probably ought to stand up. Hey, you might want to take an umbrella, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you think about that in financial decision-making okay. um, or other types of decision-making that we all make. And, and as executives, we're paid to make hundreds or thousands of decisions a day or a week. Yeah. How many of those are being infused with guidance, not just data, but guidance mm -hmm. um, with a confidence understanding so you can really start to understand that confidence score um, you know, in that. And I think that's really, to me, the next evolution of all of this work and conversation around data. Okay, well, and good, related to that, we've got another great question from our audience about, uh, and it's for guidance, it's an, uh, a request for advice. Advice for a new leader who's responsible for an organization's data governance initiatives. So you've got somebody who's just taken on, maybe they've got a chief data governance officer title even, um, but what would you recommend? What are some of the ways you think about moving forward with data governance and a new initiative around it? So first, um, approach it with a very positive view. Your, your mm -hmm. job is to get to yes. Your mm -hmm. job is to get to green. Your job is to find ways for the company that you work for to leverage data to its fullest, to help fulfill its mission as to whatever it's doing, right? Not stand in the way and just wall it off, right? It, you know, and so I think sometimes governance roles can, can go sideways mm -hmm. um, because it is far easier to just fire. It would be really easy to just disconnect everything from the internet because you're pretty secure there, right? <laughs> yeah. It is much harder to figure out how you get to yes. So do the hard work, find a way to get to yes. Make sure that the business technology, your product teams, the marketing team, all of your stakeholders see you as a positive can-do member of the team that is helping you get to yes. Now, to do that, you've got to do it in the right way right? You've got mm -hmm. laws to abide by, you've got ethics to abide by, you've got privacy policies to comply with, you've got all of these other things that want to keep it under control. Yeah, there may be right? tedious and, and industry regulations. So. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And all of those really have great intent um, and are there with the right spirit. And your job is to is to thread the needle and work to understand what the rules say, what the data is, what the need is, and find a way to leverage technology, leverage people and process mm -hmm. um, to, to make sure you stay compliant, that you abide by all of the promises and commitments and trust that you've made as a business, mm -hmm. um, but do so in a way that's actually helping people move forward with their task. Right. Yeah. And so for us, it's helping people live their financial best. So we we want to use data in a positive way to help people. Um, okay. And so you've got to find that. And then and I would say to do that, it starts with your data catalog, the completeness of your data catalog down to every field. Right. I mean, you may end up with 60 different metadata elements for each field of data that you have. Where did it come from? Does it expire? 
What encryption level does it need? Does it have to be tokenized? Where can it reside geographically? Mm -hmm. How can it be used? What are the derivative works that can be created with it? Yeah. You know, all of those things, if you do the heavy lifting up front, really get completeness of your catalog and then really unblocks your data scientists mm -hmm. because instead of them having to file paperwork and have somebody review it and go through a review process that sometimes could take weeks or months, they now can more self-service and allow the systems to enforce the governance policies that you've written. Um, so be positive. Really understand the stakeholders you have and make sure they know that you're there to keep them safe, but keep them moving forward. Um, and also, you know, do the work on the catalog, that catalog work. I know sometimes it's grunt work um, mm -hmm. and, and, and sometimes it is, you know, just heavy lifting in the back room uh, down in the, you know, furnace boiler room. But it's worth its weight in gold in terms of acceleration of innovation. Okay. That was a great answer. Thank you very much. And thank you again to our and no, audience. No, I don't live that every single day. So I. Yeah. <laughs> well, but it's, it's good to have an ideal, something to shoot for. Now, as every CIO, every tech leader would agree, you can't achieve any of these big business goals that you've been talking about so eloquently without having great talent. And so tell me about your staff, about how you have it organized, about how you engage and develop these different employees. We've mentioned data scientists a few times. I think you have 1,200 of them working for you. So that's a that's a lot of very, um, that's a lot of technical people that are all part of this team. So talk about engaging with them and developing them and, and what makes you popular as their chief product and data and analytics and technology officer. <laughs> You must have other data than I have because I'm not sure I'm popular. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, look, you should leader, have that data. Didn't you just tell me you need to have I know, all that I data? Should, I should. I don't know how to ask non-biased questions to people on that topic. Okay. Um, but no, seriously. Um, you know, I as a leader, I think about you know three things every day. Um, number one, I want to create an environment where you love what you do. Right. Life is short. Love what you do. Um, and so making sure people are really working on the work or in the job description and in the role, working on the project that they love is really important. They've got to love what they do. And it, you know, it, it is um, you know, important to me that that happens. Number two is that we want to set people up for success. Okay. Right. We want to see people be successful. Do you have the tools? Do you have the training? Do you have whatever it is you need? Are you set up for success? If you're not set up for success, it is the job of my management team, of me as a leader, of us as a leadership group to ensure people are set up for success. Mm -hmm. And create a culture where people can raise their hands and say, I don't think I'm set up for success here. This is what I need. And then we've got to either help them um, or change the outcome that we're seeking. But mm -hmm. nobody wants to just watch people not be successful. Like that's not a great culture at all. So we, we talk very openly about that all of mm -hmm. the time. And I spend a ton of my day every day making sure that every team is set up for success. Okay. Um, and then the third is helping people become more employable. Right. I, my job is to make you more employable. Now, I want you to stay working for me. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't need attrition. I don't want you to leave. Yeah. But it is my commitment to you that if you work with me, I'm going to make you more employable. I'm going to teach you a new skill. 
that could mm-hmm. be a person interpersonal skill, could be a leadership skill, could be a technical skill, right? Mm-hmm. But you, I want to make you more employable. And I just have to have the courage that if I do those three things, that you'll stick with me and grow your career with me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, and look, some people choose to take the skills that they've learned and go do something else. And many times they choose then to come back because they stopped learning and they're like, wait a minute, but I want to keep yeah. learning. So they come back. So those are the three things that I focus on mm-hmm. um, in terms of, of the team. Because when you work with technical people, um, when you work with any sort of knowledge worker, right, it doesn't have to be in technology. I mean, knowledge workers today sit in all pockets of our business. Mm-hmm. Um, knowledge workers are instinctively curious. Knowledge workers seek and are eager to learn. Yes. Um, and it is you know, our job to create that kind of collegiate atmosphere where we can debate, um, where we can push, where we mm-hmm. can you know, learn, uh, but really, at the end of the day, I always say, you know, this is Equifax.com, not Equifax.edu. And well, I was so gonna, I was going to ask about that. Do you have I know Toyota has a lot has been written about their internal university, you know, Toyota University. Yeah, we have a lot our, of. Yeah, we have, a, we have a data and analytics university. We have our product and technology. We So we have our okay. own. We call it um, we use PDAT um p for product data analytics technology because i'm super creative um as the <laughs> i was gonna say acronym, i would need to talk to your marketing people I, about I, I need i need help if anybody wants to provide guidance i'm open um but we call it pdat university um mm-hmm. and you know we've got everything from our own curated content to courses yep. that we have through third parties um, we've got over, you know, uh, almost a thousand people around the organization that have gotten a cloud certification of one size or mm-hmm. or form or factor from one type of learning, um, right. you know, and so we just keep pushing the education bit. Um, mm-hmm. And that's as much about just general knowledge as it is about, you know, our instantiation of it. Yeah. And what I mean by that is we're a unique organization. We work with some highly sensitive, highly regulated data. We work in a different way. We have some of the most complicated engineering requirements really on the planet in terms of how we manage all of this. And so it's not just about, you know, you going out and getting your Google or Amazon, you know, cloud certification. It's about, do you also understand our engineering handbook? the philosophy that we have, the decisions that we've made, how we approach and view the world. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's a mixture of those things that all come into it. Um, and so, yeah, we're very proud of that. And we've got a great team, um, you know, that that spends a lot of time curating that. Well, and I, I've seen references to that engineering handbook, which is something that was written just a few years ago after you arrived at Equifax. Um, and you called it the Bible for technology and process. Um, have you thought about publishing it? Are you gonna? Are you ever gonna sell it on the open market? Or <laughs> uh, no, but I have been known to share it with some of our customers who ask. Um, That's neat. You know, look, technology is is very religious, right? There's a lot of opinions, right? And yes. they're all equally valid and good, right? I mean, there's a million ways to solve a problem and and there's a million tools and, you know, um, your opinion on the right way versus my opinion on the right way. It, it mm-hmm. you know, um, it's all part of why I think many of us love being in technology because we yeah. actually love that debate. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, but my job as the chief technology officer is to realize that I can't run a multi-denominational church here, right? I actually have to pick a few, uh, mm -hmm. you know, religious decisions, philosophical decisions, yeah. right? And we have to stick with them, right? Because we've got to go in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. And so we've written those down. They're, they work for us. They're applicable to us, yeah. um, you know, but that doesn't mean they're applicable to everybody. Um, because everybody's got a slightly different starting point. But I do think it's important for everybody to go through the process and write it down. And I would say, look, mm -hmm. sometimes it causes, you know, early on in the transformation, it'll cause people to leave. Um, yeah. Because they're just opposed. Yep. And that's Technology okay. religions get very politically. Yeah, get political they too. do, and that's okay. And yeah. my point of view on that is I think you're, you're, you have every right to believe that and mm -hmm. you should go find a place that believes that too and not right. try to swim upstream right mm -hmm. because you know we've made our decisions we have to stick with them and we're going we, and every quarter we provide updates so we're constantly mm -hmm. refreshing it we've made some bad decisions we've undone them um new new approaches have come out we adopt them yeah um old approaches need to fade away we get rid of them um, so mm -hmm. we're always learning. We're always pushing. Um, but I think sometimes where I see some technology leaders struggle is where they're just not willing to bring that debate to closure. Okay. Um, and I think bring it to closure. Um, yeah. And if that causes a few people to leave, you know, you've done a good job. Yeah. Uh, because you've actually then made firm enough decisions. If you go through all of that and everybody's kind of still okay, you've probably watered it down a bit too much. Now, are you thinking when you talk about um, different, are you thinking about like technology, like moving to cloud native? Uh, is that, or are you thinking in a smaller way, like a certain technical tool that everybody yeah. enjoyed using? But like, give me an example of what got Library, thrown, what got thrown out the window. Tools, you know, libraries, um, database selection, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, so we have our tech radar. So, you know, what, what type of Linux are we going to run on? Right. Right. Okay. What's, yep, what's that kind the of open stuff. source RDBMS that we're going to use? What's the queuing, you know, and mm -hmm. like there's a million of those tech kind of software decisions. Yeah. Then there's technique decisions. Mm -hmm. So when you deploy on cloud, are you multi-region? Are you multi-zonal? Mm -hmm. um, do you need multi-region and multi-zonal? How are you going to handle, you know, and so I don't need every team deciding, okay, well, I'm going to use two zones in this region and two zones in that region, or I'm going to do three zones in one region, and that's how I did it. No, no, no. Here's our mm -hmm. common approach to how we think about resiliency and your yeah. deployment patterns. Um, here's how, when we say blue-green deployment, here's exactly what we need, right? right. Okay. Um, and so it's, it's a little bit of our you know, uh, you know, technology. Kung, it's our kung fu. It's it's our style of how we have interpreted the art, um, yeah. and, and the decisions we've made. And it it one it keeps the environment as simple as we can make it. Mm -hmm. um, two, it cuts down on cycle time. Um, yeah. I mean, look, nobody loves a good technology debate better than the average you know engineer, and we yeah. can spend days and weeks rehashing a decision we've already made. 
Um, none of that actually helps us move faster. So some of this is just to say, look, we've already gone through this cycle. The good news is there's always a new debate to be had, right? And so <laughs> there's plenty people of, with the next big question, right? Let's go work on that. And let's yeah. just accept that we've already made plenty of decisions for you. Yeah. Um, and I'd rather you be focusing on the next big thing. And again, well, not everybody likes yeah. that, right? And sometimes, yeah. you know, that means that, you know, if you want to go be the jack of all trades at a startup, go be mm -hmm. the jack of all trades at a startup. But in a big, yeah. large global corporation, you know, we we don't, we. I always say handymen can't build skyscrapers, right? You know, we have to get our, our craft mm -hmm. down to the expertise that is needed because yeah. we're building a skyscraper. And mm -hmm. yeah, a handyman, could build a skyscraper. I'm not sure how long it would take. I'm not sure what the quality would be at the end. They'd probably get it done. Yeah. But wouldn't it be better to hire a concrete team that just specializes in foundation? You know, a steel team mm -hmm. that just specializes in steel fabrication, a glass team, the electrical team, the plumbing team. These are all yeah. crafts craftsmen that know their craft, are mm -hmm. good at it. And that's to me what you have to kind of evolve into. Some people want to be handymen. Yeah. And uh, if you want to do that, that you should go pursue that. So it sounds like it's not just an engineering handbook about engineering principles. It sounds like it might be your data and your analytics and your product approach it handbook. So it's a it great is, it is. It's, yeah. it, it, it probably, in fairness, as it continues to evolve around how we think about data, data quality, um, you know, if we think about how 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 will we handle leveraging AI for a logical you know anomalous mm -hmm. detection of model drift or any of these more complex topics? It does evolve into that. Um, at some point, we probably have to rebrand it, not the engineering handbook, but that's probably <laughs> number one thousand on the list of things to do. Well, please don't call it the PDAT handbook. Whatever you do, <laughs> fine. Fine. Okay. Now I want in this next section here, I want to pivot over. You have you you have often been very proud of the fact that you are um uh, uh, you're you're a geek. You really enjoy technology. You're you're a legendary leader. You've won all those kinds of awards and everything, but you've also got a tremendous interest in technology and where it's headed. So you pay a lot of attention to emerging technology trends. Uh, you probably have teams that are also doing this, but I'll bet a lot of it rolls up to you for, for your thoughts on it. So with that in mind, I wanted to try kind of a lightning round with you where there have been, um, I've got about half a dozen technology topics here. They're all kind of predicting the future type things. You know, those articles that come out at the end of the year that says, here's what CIOs should be thinking about, you know, and they're very rarely. What I really by... love is the articles that come out with them that say, and here's how we did against last year's predictions. Yes. And you absolutely never see those, do you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I want to run some of these by you to see. And basically the question, is this more of the usual industry hype? Or is this something really happening? Something that you are paying attention to? So hype versus happening. The first one on my list is computation everywhere, evolving beyond IoT to an internet of materials, which develop where developers are embedded, embedding smart chips inside of cloth and bricks and woods or anything to create something else like the concrete in a building might fire off an email warning before uh, the building falls down, that sort of thing. Is that, what do you think of that? Hype or happening? 
I think it's a bit hype. Um, okay. And I think it's hype because I think we have a long way to go on just getting current technologies more resilient so that they can be more trusted. Okay. You know, I don't know about you, but if I look at 5G on a cell phone, I find 5G to be far less reliable, far less functional than 4G LTE. Mm -hmm. Right. I think millimeter wave sounds really great, but it doesn't penetrate double pane glass. It doesn't bend around corners. It doesn't like right. so we've in some cases created some really neat tech that I think sounds great in the lab, but then you get it out in the real world with interference and everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, and it has become in many ways a step backwards. Okay. And so I think while we, while I love the idea of IoT, and I think there's a million examples that we can see of it happening all over the world today, sure. I think further advancement of it probably requires a little bit of just infrastructure strengthening so yes. that we can rely on it because it would definitely need in, we definitely but, need five and six G everywhere for starters. Well, we, we need it, but we also need to make sure that the wavelengths that we select, that the tower mm -hmm. placement and you know the handoff. So so we go to these micro cells, that's great, but now you're handing off your phone as you drive down the road every, you know, three hundred yards. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, 200 milliseconds and now we're all on video calls and IP calls and it doesn't hand off well. And it's okay. again, I just right. think in many ways it's like we're going, let's make sure we get the infrastructure to a place we can rely on it with more mm -hmm. solid belief. Um, and then, right. you know, look, I think we live in uncertain times and, um, you know, the Internet in general mm -hmm. um has got some pretty significant weak points to its architecture. Yes. Um, and so we also need to make sure that as we decentralize compute to the edge more and more and more and more, mm -hmm. how does that work in a disconnected state? Okay. Right. Good, you know, we, we, we see every week now there's an outage somewhere for a yeah. whole region. I think T-Mobile had an outage, you know, last week in Colorado mm -hmm. and Denver, AT&T had one the week before, you know, you could go around the world, every carrier has them yeah. all of the time. We just need to make sure that before we put too much out on the edge, that we really understand the fabric of the network connectivity back to the center. Okay, this next one might be easy to call as hype then, De decentralized finance, AKA blockchain. You know, the challenge of creating a shared version of the truth, even when everybody doesn't get along or even agree on it, that chain of transactions held in the distributed ledger. Hype or do you see it happening? So let's separate the technology of a distributed ledger from the concept of what it brings. I, I think there are a lot of, there's certainly in a high volume, high transaction world, a lot mm -hmm. of overhead. Um, in a blockchain-based approach. And yes, there's a lot of improvements and there's a lot of great things happening, but there's still just some underlying overhead and expense in that transaction. So we'd have um, to call mostly hype on this one at this point. Yeah, and then I think the right. question is, what are you trying to accomplish, right? So okay. All right. we can still accomplish it maybe without that technology approach. All right, next on my list, NFTs. I bet you know a lot about these, but... <laughs> 
short on the answers. We've, we've only got a few minutes left in our okay, session okay. today. All right, non-fungible transactions. Uh, they, I, I am at a loss. NFTs. I I got gifted an NFT of myself, and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> so maybe it's not even hype or happening. Maybe it's just something silly, right? It seems like a it seems like a fun form of entertainment. Yes. Okay. Next, quantum resistant cryptography, a pie in the sky idea. Even admittedly, in this article I saw on it, without many practical demonstrations at all. What if magical uh, quantum computing machines were rolling off assembly lines? Uh, this could form the foundation of the next generation of protocols to protect. Yeah. Hyper happen. Um, this is happening. It better happen, and it needs to happen faster. Okay. Um, I think we need to recognize, you know, from a nation-state perspective, where quantum is publicly versus where mm -hmm. it is privately, yeah. um, and the ability once you hit about 200 qubits for a lot of the current encryption techniques to be very vulnerable. So mm -hmm. I think we're on a race um, as an industry, and I think that you know uh, whether you do lattice or whatever your quantum proof is. Yeah. This this needs to be reality, and, and we need to be working on it. All right. And last one on my list, the metaverse, which we've all been hearing about almost to ad nauseum, transformative potential of it. Right now, it's essentially this amalgam of uh, augmented reality, avatars, blockchain, cryptocurrency, virtual reality, Web3. Do you think, is this mostly the usual industry hype around something that is, or is it happening? I mean, I think it's certainly happening. I think the question is, where will it be useful? I think certainly gaming and entertainment is a massive arena. There's certainly going to be areas where when you bring robotics into it, um, you know, and you think about the ability for robots now to go into very difficult, dangerous situations, but still under the active control of a human who's living that out in a VR type way. I think there's a lot there. Um, but this mindset that we're just going to, you know, humans are social creatures. Um, and I think, you know, if, if anything, the last several years have taught us is you can only do so much Zoom before you really want to go back and actually meet people in person. Yes, exactly. In our last few minutes here, I want to ask you about what you have learned about your own leadership style in these last few years in your journey from the weather channels, the weather channel to IBM and Watson and AI and all that stuff. And now to Equifax, um, have there been changes in the way you communicate? Um, I what do you think about that? What have you learned about yourself over the last couple of years? Yeah, it's a great question. I've learned that, you know, I think communicating in a digital virtual way is very different than communicating in person. Yeah. Um, and so I have found that in a did in a virtual world, I need to be way more direct than my natural style is. Okay. I'm I'm usually a little bit more conversant and I want to, you know, listen and be engaging and talk to folks. And that's so much easier to do in person. Yeah. Um, virtually, it is more difficult. Messages get morphed or warped or misinterpreted or misunderstood. And so I've found that I've had to really make sure that in a virtual mode, I, I'm more direct. Um, you know, is probably the, the, the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. So it's had to drag you a little bit out of your comfort zone 
to have these more affable because that's a, I, I've always thought of you as a very good conversationalist, and I'm glad we've we've managed to have well, enough I time find today. That, to you do know, people, that. yeah, people people do things for you because you they want to, not because you told them to. And so I think as a leader, it's my job to bring you along and really help you understand the why, get you engaged at a fundamental level, have you become passionate about the outcome we're trying to create. Mm -hmm. um, that is best done in person. It is yeah. best done through a conversation. It is best done sometimes over a beer, right? Like it, mm -hmm. it is, it's, we're humans, we're social yeah. creatures, and uh, it is harder to do virtually. And so I think that's why trying to figure out how to adjust your style to that medium is 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 something I'm still getting my arms wrapped around. Well, and I think it's been a, a really fascinating learning experience for all of us over the last three years, because now that we are doing more things in person, there's other skills we've picked up from working online and on videos so much that I think that there's kind of an interesting amalgam happening there. Agree, agree. Okay. Well, you are always such a treat to talk to. Thank you for thank you for playing hype versus happening. That was something uh, your communications chief and I thought that it might be really fun to engage you on that because you have so many wide ranging opinions on these things, and you are let's face it very deep into technology as much as you are product and data and analytics. Um, Thank you so much, Bryson. It was really an honor having you here today. And I hope we stay in better touch than we have over the last few years. You have been busy though. So thank you so much for joining us and for being with me today on CIO Leadership Live. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. If you joined us late today, don't despair. You can watch the full episode of this great conversation with Bryson right here on LinkedIn, but you can also find it on CIO.com and on CIO's YouTube channel. CIO Leadership Live also shows up by tomorrow as an audio podcast wherever you find your podcasts. And I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Bryson Kaler, Chief Product Data Analytics and Technology Officer for Equifax, and that you'll plan to tune in for our next Leadership Live show on Wednesday, March 8th, when I'll be talking with the CIO of Qualcomm, Cisco Sanchez. Thanks so much again for joining us today. Thanks to the great questions from our audience. And do take a moment to subscribe to CIO's YouTube channel, where you can find all of the previous episodes, more than 100 of these now, of CIO Leadership Live. I keep encouraging people to go on there and spend a weekend binging through all of them. But I don't know if anyone's done that yet or if that they tried it and it drove them insane. But in any case, thank you so much for being with us. Stay well, and we'll see you here again next time.